Welcome to Conversations in Connectivity. I'm Ryan Carlson, your host, and within each episode, you'll find curated conversations from all corners of connectivity, the Internet of Things, smart products, and the industries that are building and deploying these technologies to solve problems all around us. This episode is brought to you by Soracom, a global connectivity service provider that believes the fastest way to cost savings and scale is when customers are in full control of their connectivity operations. You can sign up for an operator account to experience self-service, pay-as-you-go, global connectivity without a contract today at Soracom.io. Today's guest is David Armstrong, a digitalization evangelist and a director at a company called Cohesive. Now, we had the pleasure of sitting down with him after his participation in a panel discussion about the economic and environmental value of digital transformation projects, which was at the IoT in Oil and Gas Show of Houston, Texas. Okay, whew, nailed it. You'll understand in a moment. Have you ever sat through a panel discussion? You know, one of those ones where you just keep hoping that the microphone gets handed back to a particular panelist because everything they're saying about a topic just kind of cuts right through the noise? Well, digitization or digitalization is an incredibly dense topic, especially when we're talking about the digitization or digitalization of knowledge within a workforce. Not as a way to replace people, but to preserve the knowledge that allows us to trust the feedback systems, whether it's analog or digital, and bring confidence back into our decision-making. Connectivity, data collection, and sensors, now these are all as good, or only as good, as the underlying data models, assumptions, and the data science that we apply to a solution. Now, this is something to which our guest said during the panel he was in. You know, long ago, we had another name for data science. It was called math. What does this conversation have to do with connectivity? Kind of everything. Because digitization goes well beyond individual discrete data points. And it's clear that the data that we're going to need in order to make meaningful decisions beyond just discrete alarms and alerts, it doesn't stop at the four walls of a facility. It requires pulling data from out there. So without further delay, let's get on with the interview. So David, we're at the OIO, OIOT. I'm going to start over on that one. We're at the OIOT. I'm going to say that over and over we're again. We're the right? IOT conference for oil and gas. Thank you so much. <laughs> the Energy <laughs> Conference Network. You've got the whole thing down. How much are they paying you? Uh, yeah, I get lunch. I got, is that why I got lunch too? I think you want, you get lunch the same way. So you said something really fascinating in the panel discussion the other day in which you were talking about the need to digitize the knowledge of a workforce Absolutely. that is slowly exiting, either because they want to retire or they're dying. That's right. And no, it's not as sexy to be in a trade and to yeah. you know, to apply your to, to use your hands, to recognize the environment that you're working with and understand holistically how an asset changes and to pull the individual levers that might affect that positively or negatively. And I think that's a missing skill. I'm a big believer that uh, you know we've got white collar jobs, we've got blue collar jobs, and I think those are gold collar jobs. I think today they're getting paid a substantial amount more and maybe they're not getting paid enough. So they should be gold collar because that could be the missing jewel that we're going to achieve digitalization. 
So when you hear about digitizing a workforce, yeah. what does that mean to someone who's doing a lot of big stuff with data? So I think fundamentally we have to look at and compare what the IoT space can deliver, right? I mean, how much of the asset base can actually be digitalized and automated so we're receiving signals? And what are those signals? So I always say that we're getting effect level data, right? So we're getting a signal that says there's a problem. But what actually caused that problem? It's usually a many-to-one relationship, okay? And there are processes that have been, they're well-defined, they're well-known, anything from RCM to HAZOP to SIS, SIL. Fundamentally, what they do is they sort out what the, are the discrete data points that contribute to cause an event, whether it be vibration, high temperature, flows going out of whack, or why is the bus back tires wobbling? It's many different reasons. Could be the road, could be the fact that the bearings are shot, could be the fact that the bus is overloaded. That's what IoT can bring, but the tradespeople that preceded IoT used to have to be able to deduce that information themselves using the six senses. So we know about the six senses, but then there's also the other senses where the human brain, where we use what, like one to two percent, maybe some of the, some that are special like yourself use three percent, but that's not a good return. That's 33 percent more than average. I'll take that. I just got to use the right numbers. But I mean, so let's build on that. So inside our brains, we can recognize that there are multiple factors that cause that event. That's the stuff that we need to digitalize, because that's, to me, that's the missing ingredient. That's not the 30, let's say IoT can deliver 30 to 40%. I'm gonna be a little generous there, because I don't think it's even that high. It's that bigger piece that once we've digitalized that, then we can leverage AI and machine learning and blockchain and whatever to drill down. Most of what we're dealing with aren't technology problems, they're people problems. So Mm -hmm. what I've seen is, People are using technology. For example, there was a large steel plant that creates the trucks for trains. Mm -hmm. And they took a bunch of their guys who are near retirement age and they put them in sock centers. So they get to sit back and they've got brand new people who are going out. They've got wireless webcams. And as you said, they know the 27 different right questions to ask Mm -hmm. to narrow down to what the problem is. Whereas the sensors have no idea. They're all just going, weep, weep, weep. All right, check here, check this weep. I'm going to expand. I think some of the sensors are getting smarter, like vibration. They can see when a signal is leading to something. But it, Sure, with the motor but, vibration analysis, and but that, that, that's a good machine learning, though, getting yeah. to establish the baseline, yeah. looking for variations. But what are we doing for that institutional knowledge that's that the right. person in the SOC center has? I'm really curious to hear, what does that look like is it just having them train models? I think I don't think it's the training of models, it's the validation of the models in a deterministic way or actually accurate and making sense. So I think we need to, I hate to use the term unpack that a little bit because it's so overused. Yeah, it's pop the hood, let's go. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when I, I think a deterministic model, a rule-based model, is the first step in digitalizing what the tradesperson sees. And if I talk about those wheels on the bus or wheels on the back of the rail car on the bogey, what actually contributed to that vibration issue? Was it the track? Was it the wheel? Was it a source of lubrication? Was it the wrong bearing size? Maybe somebody pressed a bearing in and the tolerance was, was too tight. 
that's, those are the stories that are getting lost. So those are the stories that are getting lost, not what is happening, but why it happened. And the why it happened is really important because when organizations understand why, they can put strategies to accept, manage, mitigate, or model, remodel, and put solutions around that risk. That's where organizations move from good to great. When an organization goes, ah, on that bearing race, it wasn't a lubrication issue, it, was, it, it manifested in a vibration issue, but somebody took a bearing off a store shelf that was perhaps dropped, or, it was, or the, when they pressed the race in on the bearing, the tolerance was too tight. How do we solve that in the future? So maybe we remachine it, or maybe we prep it before we do it. And we eliminate that from the potential problems moving forward. And what you're doing is you're actually elim eliminating all the many sources of variance so you can focus on what you can or need to actually manage. And then you can accelerate your performance, your organization, right? You're reducing all the sources of variation. So is it, this is my personal belief in that human judgment will be the one thing that computers and AI is, really can't eliminate, but what does that line look like? Realistically, if trying to solve really big problems is hard. So mm -hmm. solving small, discrete, one discrete problem at a time. Yeah. You're talking about wheel bearings. You told me a story about optimizing steel, yeah. right? Just how much are we getting for how many people do we need? And actually, no one else has actually heard that. Would you mind sharing? <laughs> like, I thought that was a good example of tying the need to know things to business drivers that are meaningful to people who don't care what actually happened. Yeah, so in the example we talked about, steel company needed to figure out how they could get more yield, more return from the steel that they were rolling. Mm -hmm. So in their hot strip mills, yield losses happen when you cut the end of the coil off or how much goes into the pit at the end, the trash pit, and then they got to put it back in the fiery furnace. Or, but yield losses can also happen by running too thick a material or too thin a material, too slow. So what controls that are actually load cells that give feedback back into your H HMI system or your operator control center to use a more generic term that, that people want to hear about. But so by understanding those controls, we can understand if we're running at optimum speed, optimum thickness, optimum yep. quality, optimum return. The issue is we need to be able to trust in those feedback systems. So when we started to see dither in those feedback systems, we can say, aha, right? My confidence in the decision-making that I have to deliver here is being reduced. I need to proactively change those at the right moment so I can get ahead of that so I can bring confidence back in my decision-making. Yep. You made a point of the fact that I said the data science, right? Before that, it was called Lean, Six Sigma. Before that, it was called Math. When I took it, I had a, an economics professor in year one at university, and she was an Aussie, and she called it sadistics. Sadistics. <laughs> Which is statistics. But it's the same, right? It's just understanding where spreads and variances is happening and reducing those outliers so you're in a normal operating condition, right? It's not hard, it's just, maybe it is hard, but it's just, we need to simplify it, right? One bite of the elephant. We gotta chop the elephant down, to understand where the variance is coming from, understand what's caused it. Is it real? Or is are my signaling systems in this case, they're starting to wear, they need recalibrating or they need changing out proactively mm -hmm. so then I can go back and 
eliminate that source of noise, validate what's going on, and then continue to make oodles of money. And so I'm hearing that it's not just understanding, knowing where that dither is, then it's operationalizing the... Exactly. The, we know that on average, every six months, we add this to our OEE checklist, or we add this to our maintenance team. We see this, but it goes um, to the people. Like, how does this knowing... I'm going to change that for okay, a sec, because you, 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 you brought time into this. Okay. So time is the fourth dimension, right? Whoa, man. 4D. Oh, Ooh, no. We entered the twilight zone. <laughs> time is something that everybody wants to predict on. The issue is humans, put, humans are the fly in the ointment, right? So if we only check something every six months, yeah. is that optimal enough? Or should we be continuously monitoring things because they're super critical for us achieving our goals? Because we are mortal and entropy affects us differently than our machine overlords, the so things I, that we made, right? Using other factors outside of time, yeah. what is it that a machine can detect that we as humans can't that gives so us the, the indication? the machine should tell us when to fix something not time or just because we've run a work order and it spits it out every six months and I'm sending three guys over there and two and two others to go and fix this machine because it's time that's just wrong right I've been thinking about this so wrong for so long the fact that time should be the one thing that we eliminate in all of our conversations or at least be critical of it are we using time because it is a us meat sacks have a like limited scalability. Like we can only drive to each it's facility a box so many times. Ticking exercise usually, right? Yes, I've done my check. It's it is yes, doctor. I've done my check. Your prognosis is I need to come back six months from now, and the reality is that doesn't work. Time is the artificial constraint. It's other data points that a true specialist in the field would be able to look at. Oh, it's leaning a little bit to the left, or hear that squeak. Yeah, uh, like exactly. They've, they've got, uh, I wish I could remember all of these great anecdotal things where mm -hmm. you go out and you do qualitative data research yeah. and you have, okay, who's the most senior person here? Tell me about why did you get a phone call in the middle of the night? What went wrong? And what was probably the cause? And you get some really great stories. Oh, it's the guy who goes, oh, you just got to take this ball peen hammer and hit it right here. And I've seen that. <laughs> so have I. Yep. That's with car wash Guys pumps. with the, uh, the screwdriver to the side of the bearing. And, and you know what? That's all valid stuff. And this is exact, goes right back to what we discussed. Well, I can put an IoT sensor on something and spend thousands and put monitoring systems. But maybe it's enough for the guy with the screwdriver who's qualified to put his ear to a screwdriver on the side of a gearbox and go, you know what? I'm getting a grinding noise every third revolution. I know that something's going on with that second pinion gear or my lubrication's not right. So then the challenge is once I collect that tacit information is how do I make you or me or that person over there hear the same noise in the same way? So what we're doing now is defining a discrete data point and then creating a repeatable, reproducible data set where somebody completely foreign to the analysis can go, oh, it's box A because that, that click that they've heard is every third revolution or it's box B because that click is click, 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 click. So those repeatable, reproducible states are exactly how optometrists actually make eyeglasses. A or click. Or it's box yeah. C because the thing's on fire, right? C it's, or D. Yeah, it's yeah. psychometric scaling is what it is. Yes. They do it for bike fitting too. Our instrumentation as humans yeah. 
is really bad because we're getting all the senses in all at once. We 100%. can't just say, turn off everything but your hearing. Yeah. But a machine can, right? And Which, we're all calibrated differently. And that's part of the issue. How do we calibrate a human yep. right, to see things in the same way? So now it's a little bit different. How do we calibrate our models to see things the way a human would? First, we got to define what we're looking at and then the states by what good looks like. And this is why training programs are so hard because people yeah. learn differently. They interpret yes. stimulus differently. So yeah. assuming that you can't just take the David model and say, you are the best at this. Like, trying to teach other people to do it the same way you do is hard to repeat. And if even if you could, it might take a lot of time, investment, and scale. Yeah. My question for you then is, if we know that it's good enough to apply a lot of the same diagnostics, those discrete data points, to at the very least just say, you know what, 88% likelihood there's a problem, send someone in, yeah. is enough to intervene. When do we say enough is enough? to allow humans to minimize the level of effort and work up to their certification. Stop them from doing some of these menial things. Or yeah, there's a few things that are in my head from that. When do we take the human out of the equation type? Or what's the right application? I like to think of it as when do we let the human work on something more important? Yeah, so a lot of the stuff that are incredibly valuable gold collar trades people are looking at are things that they shouldn't be, right? We should be allowing IoT to, to use to deliver a better service and monitoring those those kind of things come into play there. We can gain true condition out of it and not send a human to a place where they'd be better served doing something far more complex mm -hmm. or rebuilding something. Because let's uh, let's talk about those tradespeople. They're hard to find, and the good ones are even harder to find, and they're expensive. So that's a better use of their time. So we've identified the audience. We know all of the people that would like to see improvements. We know that tradespeople would like to be working up to yeah. their level of skill and not be doing menial tasks. So we've got the audience, we've got the problem. Tell me a little bit more about what it is that you are doing that uniquely addresses this audience and problem. So let's talk about those tradesmen for a second. Yep. Let's say they've got these models in their head and they're able to look at three, five, six different potential anomalies that would cause that problem. And they're, but they're, very, they're looking extremely myopically at one asset, okay? Now, another tradesperson who's potentially not on that same task knows a whole lot more about the asset beside it, either in front of the process or behind the process, okay? Now what we're able to do is send, by digitizing all that information, Right? by capturing, by harnessing that information, now we're able to apply a whole load of tradespeople to that one inspection point and understand all the relatable attributes that could be combined from a whole plethora of assets at the exact same time by using things like AI and machine learning because now we're opening up to the entire population of data that could have influenced that, that asset from starting to fail. So this is the crash reconstruction exactly. team that is looking at everything along a timeline with the yeah. strings. And maybe it's not within our systems. Maybe it was the impact of weather and things like that. Now we're talking about the whole population of data of IoT devices, those billion trillion connections, mm -hmm. which obviously they don't all lie within our own organization, but maybe they're 
things that happened, weather changes, humidity changes, an uprising in the middle of somewhere and it caused a reduction in electricity in the grid and that caused the equipment into dither. Right? Yep. Now, by digitalizing all that and being able to create an influence against that broader set of population, now we can get highly confident models on why that event actually happened. Not just solely reliant on that one tradesperson's knowledge, now it's all the potential tradesperson's knowledge in the organization, or even better, if we were to connect all our systems, all the tradespeople in the world and all the data systems that we've connected to, now we can understand what part of the equation they all played in that event happening. You say we a lot. Tell me a little bit more about the we. Yeah, we is a big thing. So, <laughs> The royal we? we? we it's the royal <laughs> we. So we as in my organization, we help digitalize that stuff. We help connect all those systems in an object model architecture. If we're going to start to think about fixing things which are really hard, like the impact of what humans have done to this earth, we need to move to the royal we. It's really essential to understand what is contributing to how we're destroying the world. What's contributing to how political events unfold and how one little flag that went up, right, contributed to two flags that went up and all of a sudden we've got an uprising and people are getting put in harm's way as a result. Yeah, I think that's the royal we. I read a book. It's a South African, and you'll have to add it to the link, so to speak. Sure, yeah, you got It's it. called How a Fox Decodes the World. Basically, it's scenario planning, right? Mm -hmm. So when I talk about the royal we, it allows us to scenario plan and to figure out proactively what could happen. If I move this lever and this lever happen, what could actually happen? And obviously we'll talk about the guy's name at a later date. He actually got called by the FBI or the CIA because okay. he predicted the World Trade bombing. He basically saying, look, we've got disturbances over here, got disturbances over there, we've got this uprising going on, something is going to happen and we believe it's going to happen in New York. And he predicted that before the event happened. So after it happened, he got a knock on the door. How did you know? How did you know? It's scenario planning. It's forecasting is what he's, is what he's talking about. So is that not predictive maintenance? Is that not predictive scenarios? So if I have the data, then I should be able to figure out how I can fix things proactively by being able to apply the right levers to get a better solution, a better answer. Or, going back to that train, if I'd have made sure, if I'd have taken care of some of those levers early on, right, then I can predict when I should be changing those assets, reduce my overall burden, reduce my costs, eliminate the risk of the organization, and potentially eliminate the risk of having a, a rail derailment or something like that. So to close, to close this chapter, we've talked all about... Too much. I don't know. We've talked about the people problems, the business challenges, the even some of the theoretical whys. So let's land this plane and just talk about some of the things that we're doing from a technology perspective. Yeah. What are some examples, some like concrete examples of the types of technology that we have access to today yeah. that we're using to pull this disparate data together into insight? Yeah, so I think technology is finally caught up. Let me even give you an example of a few years ago, GE Predix, there was, there was a whole lot of effort going on and they were gonna define the architecture and stitch the magic solution together. I'll make a long story short, there was a lot of people that lost their jobs. I think the CEO of that department lost his job. He is no longer the Fortune 500 company that it was. 
And that's because they were they struggled with the architecture to stitch it all together. The intent was good, right? What they wanted to do was fantastic. But I don't think the technology was ready. I think now we're at an IoT conference. I think the ability to, to pull inform, their information on demand in real time is pretty much there. I think the ability to connect to that interoperably like an iPhone with APIs and GUIs. It's what we need to work on now is what is the actual solution and where are we pulling that information from? That's all there. I'm hearing data liquidity is the yeah, problem. Yeah, data is quite possibly worth more than the assets, the physical assets, right? Yeah. But what is missing? It's the content. We now have the contextualizing agent called software technology, the ability to pull stuff in. But the content is what is missing. We need to harness that content. We need to digitalize that to future-proof your organization, other organizations, and then potentially to, to future-proof our place on this earth so we can actually solve some of these bigger problems because we're all connected. I love that we talk about connectivity so often. Be like, oh, it's technology. And in all of the conversations I've had at the show, People use the word interchangeably of yeah. connectivity and connected is actually connecting people. Technology should be the new Babelfish. It transcends language and it should create an image that we can all recognize that transcends all the different languages because most of us are visual learners, I shouldn't say all, but we can all move into a picture that we can see, we can touch, we can feel, we can almost feel now. To me, that's where technology can transcend a lot of these geopolitical and language issues and diversity issues, if we do it right. Thank you. I think we've got all the opportunity to help build that Babel fish <laughs> and bring everything all together and solve some real problems. I hope so. This is just a fascinating conversation because it's so people-centric and I hate when we lose sight of that. So thanks for your time, Dave. Appreciate it. You're welcome. The OYO, OYOT, we're at the OYOT. I'm going to say that over and over we're again. We're at the right? IOT conference for oil and gas. 